was in junior high, there was a rumor of a kid in our town who was absolutely amazing on guitar. It was the early 90s, and there was still a healthy respect for the sort of Eddie Van Halen or heavy metal style of guitar playing that can best be described as shredding. <laughs> I had just started playing guitar and knew nothing of the world of shred. But I was curious. I wanted to see this wunderkind and see for myself what he could do. The kid's name was Rashad. This mysterious, strange name that only added to the mystery of his talent. It would be a few years before I actually crossed paths with Rashad, uh, but uh, we did meet up eventually at, in a youth group. And it was one of those youth groups where they're like, 40 guitars all playing together. <laughs> and, uh, and we were all playing together. We are kind of like running through the songs before the youth group. And it was all true. He could play anything. And he played just with raw, amazing talent. Just, you know, letting it flow through him. It was absolutely shocking. The things that he played came out in just steady streams. None, no filter. Just pure, natural talent. Around the time that we met, Rashad was getting into folk music, and soon thereafter, he borrowed a guitar from a wealthy person in Carmel. We lived up in the Carmel Monterey area. Borrowed a guitar and went on to win the National Flat Picking Contest in guitar, which is like the, the epitome of like acoustic shred. You know, it's a, you cannot play better than that. Um, then, he decided he would turn his focus back to the cello, which is the instrument he grew up on. And, uh, and he, he went a very non-traditional route with the cello. He, he applied to Berklee College of Music in Boston and, uh, and became the first string player to ever get a full ride to Berklee. And he went. Uh, now, to pay for his cost of living, uh, folk musicians from all over Central California got together for a benefit concert for Rashad, uh, in which he was the headliner, and he played all these different instruments, and it was just unbelievable. I only saw it on video because I was at col in college myself, but it was, it was one of those nights that everybody that was there remembers you know, distinctly. So Rashad moved to Boston, and he started school, and he formed a folk band called The Crooked Still, and meanwhile, he played fiddle with legends from all over the country, um, including a record. He played on a record with, uh, with a man named Daryl Anger. Uh, the record was called Fiddler's Four. And that record got nominated for a Grammy for Best Acoustic Music that, that, uh, that year. And when the Grammy was announced, our whole town was proud. You know, we were so excited. It was like us. It was like our guy had done it. That's our guy, you know, that great feeling. <laughs> you see where this is going. <laughs> a few years later, uh, Rashad left traditional folk music and started a band called Tornado Rider. It was a power trio of bass, drums, and cello that, I kid you not, mixed heavy metal with Dr. Seuss-inspired lyrics. 
Rashad has, had and still has this whole imaginative realm that he calls the, the land of, of Snee or Sneth. Uh, anyway, it's complicated. He's definitely his own own cat. Uh, and around that time, Richard started dressing like an elf uh, with a hat, kind of like a Robin Hood style hat. You know, it's like this pointy hat, like you might see in a like a high school version of Robin Hood. Um, suffice it to say, it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> and Rashad, you know, he was trying to follow his muse and encouraged other people to, to discover their childlike silliness. He really admired silliness and wanted to help people rediscover that. Um, but, as you might guess, nobody got that. And I think very few people still get it. Uh, and, and, in fact people in our hometown started to get mad at him. They were like, what are you doing? You have all this talent, and this is what you're doing with it? You are our guy. You're supposed to be the next, like, yo-yo ma. What are you doing? You're wasting it. Dancing around in purple spandex. With a Madonna mic. He, oh, my gosh. If you want some YouTube craziness, look up tornado rider you'll see he, he'll like he'll in concerts he'll climb up like beams like this and hang from his feet and play upside down it's pretty wild <laughs> tornado rider's not still going on for the most part but anyway he's still doing crazy music but people are still mad at him for squandering his talent for letting us down for ruining a big chance a chance for us chance for all of us. His chance was our chance. But the hometown hero let us down. This is where we find Jesus this morning. Jesus knows all about it, about being the hometown hero and the dangers it entails. This week, we get the second half of Jesus' inaugural sermon in Luke. Mind you, mind you, Jesus' first sermon in other Gospels happens in Capernaum, right? But Luke has this beautiful narrative arc in which Jesus begins in Nazareth and progresses eventually to Jerusalem. The way Luke tells the story of Jesus' rejection at Nazareth is also different from those other accounts. In the other Gospels, the emphasis is on the notion that a prophet is always rejected in his or her hometown. And that is in this passage. We see that in this passage, but it is not the big takeaway. It is not what Jesus is emphasizing. In Luke, right after, after that first sermon, everyone loves Jesus. Everyone's excited. Look at this guy. This guy got nominated for a Grammy. Right? And then Jesus turns things around with this bit. Physician, heal thyself. This is unique to Luke, which I love, because what is Luke's job? What is Luke called? Does everybody remember? The physician. The physician. Luke the physician. Exactly. I love the implications of Luke, the physician, talking about Jesus healing himself. In this passage, to both Jesus and Nazareth, Jesus 
is Nazareth. He is part of this body that is Nazareth. Thyself is the whole community, not just the individual who was called the child of Joseph and Mary, right? This is weird for us Americans. We're individuals. This is not that. Very different. Jesus pulls a Rashad. He starts playing heavy metal cello. He says, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, but Elijah was sent only to the widow of Zarephath. In other words, Jesus is going to help the outsiders first. New Testament scholar Fred Craddock uh, points out this beautiful line. He says, Jesus does not go elsewhere because he's rejected. He is rejected because he goes elsewhere. I love that Jesus shows preferential option for the marginalized, for the outsider. It is indicative of Luke's gospel, this penchant for social justice. Remember the passage that we read, that Jesus read last week from Isaiah. Good news for the poor, release for the captives, sight for the blind. Luke ties social justice together with the phrase, physician heal thyself. How does Jesus treat himself? What happens to Jesus' own body? It is beaten to the point of death. Jesus wanders around the countryside, staying wherever he ends up, be it in a boat, in a storm, or in Jerusalem's Motel 6, where the Last Supper was held. Remember, it's a borrowed room that he reaches on a borrowed donkey, right? And then there is the cross. My point is that Jesus does not prioritize self-preservation, much less self-aggrandizement. But the people of Nazareth don't get that. They are unfamiliar with the way of the cross. It is so foreign that they want to drive him off a cliff. They want to destroy part of themselves. Now, before we judge the people of Nazareth too harshly, think about the last time your cell phone didn't work or your laptop you see people freak out. I've seen people throw phones in pools, like to just absolutely destroy this thing that is like an extension of them. Likewise, I've known one or two parents late at night with a baby that refuses to go to sleep, feeling frustrated, shall we say? <laughs> I've never felt that way. Not last night, on multiple occasions. <laughs> We do this also with our own body. At times, our own bodies don't behave the way we would like them to behave. Since it is Super Bowl Sunday, something that would have been lost on me two days ago had somebody not told me it was Super Bowl Sunday, but Super Bowl Sunday, I hope you will permit a sports analogy. In his book, The Inner Game of Tennis, author Timothy Galway describes a process that keeps many players stuck in a rut of judgment, expectation, and self-destruction. 
when people get frustrated with their athletic performances, they say things like, it isn't that I don't know what to do, it's that I don't do what I know. Contrast that sentiment with players who are in the zone. People say of a star player, she's playing out of her mind. Out of her mind. This is what some people call a flow state. To describe this process, Galway distinguishes between self one and self two. Self one is the teller, the rational mind. Self two is the doer, the unconscious being, the player. A flow state involves trusting self two and seeing non judgmentally. To get there, we need to unlearn those habits that interfere with self two. Galway quotes Zen teacher Suzuki in saying, Thought interferes with our original unconsciousness. When we are not calculating, childlikeness can be restored. Childlike makes me think of Rashad's silliness, a return to being childlike, like a great Athlete Rashad plays with no filter. Like great musicians and athletes, our roles as lovers of God and neighbor requires a nimble mind able to respond to circumstances that arise around us. When we let go of our ego, our agenda, our self-one, we can turn to the world before us, to the prophet in our myths, and ask, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help the 26,000 undocumented students who will graduate high school in California alone this year? How can I help those affected by the rains, by all those who are on the front lines of climate change? How can I help the 3,000 plus LGBT LGBTQIA students who visit the UCSB's Resource Center for Sexual and Gender Diversity every year. As the body of Christ, we know that the health of the whole is the health of the individual. These two things are inextricable. We're all in this together, as we'll sing in a minute. God is always calling us to go to the widow of Zarephath, to go to the lepers of Syria, to speak to those who listen for divine compassion, to hear new music playing around and in us all, to put down our agenda and expectations, our self one, and ask simply, how can I help? Amen.